Hi, everybody. This is Ann Wilson, and this is Iron City Rock. Hi, this is Mike Guido from Loverboy, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. All right, Pittsburgh! You are the best! You got the best! Hello and welcome to episode 454 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 454, we are joined by Mike Reno of the band Loverboy. Really glad to get a chance to talk to him. We are here um, just a few months out, I believe it was November of 1980, their debut album was released uh, and the band has re-released it uh, all remastered on red vinyl a fantastic album uh, many times over platinum in the United States and in Canada uh, the, the album that just really launched them uh, featured uh, Bruce Fairburn on production Bob Rock was involved in the album uh, so really as we talk about in the interview, kind of a perfect storm of a lot of, of forces coming together. Lover Boy, which obviously was, you know, when you go back and look, you know, they're one of those bands I think that can kind of slip under the cracks. You think Lover Boy, you think working for the weekend. But when you really start to look at the number of hits that they strung up in really a five, six year period of time, they had a tremendous amount of chart success, um, rivaling kind of what Van Halen did in the David Lee Roth era, where they kicked out so many songs in, in the span of six albums. Uh, so Mike was kind enough to join us to kind of look back at uh, the debut from Loverboy and talk about the album, a little bit about what the band is up to during the pandemic and such. So we're going to go back and rewind time to late 1980, uh, 40 years in a few months at this point. I'll go play a little bit of that debut album. We'll get into that interview with Mike Reno.
My pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have Canadian Music Hall of Famer Mike Reno of Loverboy on the line. How you doing, Mike? I'm good, man. I appreciate it. Nice talking to you, John. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I uh, have to admit, I've been a big fan of the band. Um, I still remember the first time I heard Working for the Weekend when I was I was kind of a younger guy when I heard that song and, and you know, been a big fan of you know the, the kind of classic rock and, and the, just the litany of hits that that Lover Boys produced and even he was a solo artist so uh, I saw the 40th anniversary of the debut album which you know first kind of stops us all on our tracks and thank god that's been 40 years but um, oh my god huh 40 years you believe it seems like yesterday yeah it, it does in a way and, and, and you know but then I think you know you guys are like the soundtrack to a lot of people's lives um, so it, it's really a cool um cool moment and I think one of the things that, that to me kind of sticks out about the album I mean, other than the fact that it's your debut album you sold like between the US and Canada like millions of copies of that is just you know the, the number of the success of the singles did you guys I, I know you had come from another band um, you know and cut, you know had cut an album and then you know teamed up with with the guys who became Loverboy did you expect or have a feeling when you were doing this that this was really you know that kind of special lightning in a bottle feeling you know something um John when we were cutting track when we were writing songs and stuff all I expected, you know, when we first started out was to get to the end of the week and be able to afford a case of beer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting selling millions of copies. I really wasn't. You never you never really think that way. Until we started cutting some of these tracks, and, it, and I kind of felt some of these songs had some really um, interesting magic to them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I got a little bit excited. I went, I think, I think some of these songs really have a shot. And... The guys in the band are so talented. I mean, I knew it was yeah. going to sound great. So we got an opportunity to record. We were in heaven. We were like kids in a candy store. We got an opportunity to cut our first record in a real studio. Um, it was crazy times, and, and it was fantastic. Yeah, and, and you, you guess, I guess, in a, a real stroke of luck, caught a, you know a very young Bruce Fairburn, Fairburn and um, Bob Rock and Mike Frazier. You know, you had what turned out, you know, I think five years later everyone would have killed for the opportunity to work with these guys you had them all in one project was that just dumb luck or did did you seek these guys out or did the label just say hey you're going to work with Bruce and you didn't get a choice no you know what it was we had a uh, a manager who 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 set it all up for us Uh, Bob Rock was in another band he just was working as an engineer to make some money Mm -hmm. he was very good at it obviously but he came up the ladder just the same as we came up the ladder. Bruce Fairburn, this was his first big international 
tape recording. Right. And Mike Fraser, he was the second engineer who would do a lot of the putting the tapes on, take the tapes off, organize the microphones, fix the cords. And so everybody was starting from scratch. We were starting from scratch. Bruce Fairburn was, was the same. Uh, Bob Rock, the same. Mike Fraser, the same. We're all in the same boat. We were just going for it. You know what I mean? And we all just kind of took off from there together. It was like a, yeah, it, a real trip. It's almost like, you know, you look at that between, you know, your band, uh, you know, kind of coming together, you know, from, you know, I'm going to say the ashes of other bands, but, you know, either, you know, you guys had some experience on your belts individually, came together, you know, and, and you really just lined up with the team, the songs. Were, were most of the songs written when you went into the studio or, you know, were you guys kind of yeah, they speaking were out the lyrics the last no, we minute? Had no, no, we had everything written. We were pretty ready to go. Matter of fact, I often think of people say to me, how was it in the studio? You know, a lot of producers come into a, uh, a band, uh, come to work with the band, and they change everything up, mm-hmm. and they make it all different, and they overdo everything, and it's like, oh, my God. With us, and Bruce Fairburn, I think part of his uh, genius was that he let us go. He basically just said, have some fun, guys, and we'll record you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we just played and played and played, and we were all sweaty, and we were all like, rocking around moving our arms up in the air and kicking it we were doing that uh, day after day and next thing you know we had a bunch of stuff on tape and then it was just time to mix it make it sound good right had you and guys, you know we did very little overdubbing for instance we didn't mm-hmm. want it to sound like there was five guitar players you know because we liked to play live and we knew we'd have to play live and we didn't want it to sound like anything but us yeah. And Bruce Fairburn was uh, had the insight to let us do it that way, and so that was you know a lot of fun. We got to just cut the record, the way the songs you know the way we felt like it, and uh, very little was changed. It was just Bob Rock making it sound good, and Bruce Fairburn just helping with a few edits here and there and suggestions and changing one or two things here and there. But overall, he just let us go. And that that's that's I think important. So many producers, you know, in Maybe the fact you you got him young, or if that's just his style, but so many producers want to put their stamp. It's true. A lot of producers like to come in there and change you right up. Yeah. Did you guys do a lot of gigs prior to the, you know, to going into the studio? I know you're obviously a relatively young band, you know, coming together as a a band. Not that long before that, relatively speaking. You know what, John? We had the opportunity to take these shows, uh, take our show into mm-hmm. nightclubs, and 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 bars and stuff, and play uh, with you know people. That would, at the, the first night we played there, there'd be like fifty people there, and by the by Wednesday the place would be lined up down the block. We had some kind of a, it was happening. We could tell it was happening. It was exciting to see the room fill. People were all talking about it, and a lot of these club owners went uh, would say things like, "We thought you were playing." Uh, you guys would be playing top 40 stuff. And our manager would go, listen, this stuff is yeah. going to be top 40, so just give them a chance, you know, the stuff yeah, like that. <laughs> you know, and so most bands would go in and play a bunch of covers. We never played one cover. We played Loverboy stuff. And we and probably for about a year, we played around British Columbia and, and all around on the Vancouver Island and stuff. We would go off and we would get a week-long gig or a weekend gig and we would play these songs and play these songs until we had them just right. And we had that opportunity. A lot of bands don't get that opportunity 
they change, you know, they write them in the studio and they never test them out. We tested them out with people to see who was going to dance, who was going to start tapping their toes, you know. So that's, uh, we had a great opportunity. Did, did, I mean, obviously, maybe, you know, it was this was pre-MTV, but did, when MTV came along, you guys were kind of ripe for that. You know, you were young, good-looking guys. Um, did it really take it further, you know, did you feel kind of, you know, shifting in overdrive when, when MTV kind of caught on to your videos or, or was it time was FM got you in high gear already? John, it was night and day. The record company was uh, smart enough to ask us to do something that we'd never really heard of. They wanted us to go uh, to Albany, um, New York, because we were in the area. And he said, we want you to go to the Shrine Theater and record your songs. We're going to film your songs. Now, this is before they had the word mm -hmm. video together. It wasn't even you did a video. It was just, we're just going to record some of your songs. Then we're going to edit it together and make and send it to this uh, this company that's running a 24-hour uh, music television show. So this is how they, they brought it to us. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and then all of a sudden, the first week that MTV was open, um, Loverboy and Columbia Records handed them three videos of three of our songs. And life-changing, yeah. complete life-changing yeah. right there. We became, a lot of bands at the time, like 10CC and stuff like that, you know, they were faceless. You couldn't have Super Tramp. You didn't know what they looked like. Yeah. So... When we handed them these videos, man, we became super unfaceless. Everybody knew exactly what we looked like. And it kind of made it a little tough going out and stuff. But I was kind yeah, of into it. I thought it was it, cool. It was really, really working. working young guy in the early 80s, I'm sure that was a nice problem to have, you know, at the time. Um, <laughs> I think it, it yeah, really worked out. I, I remember to talking to Greg Kinn, who was an, another artist, I think, who kind of rode that first video wave. And it, it was almost like a, a lucky break because MTV really didn't have the material to fill a full day. I remember when we first got MTV, and it was like, if I see Joe Jackson stepping out video one more time, I'm going to just go nuts because I've got this song burned in my head. And, but, you know, it was just like a, a the playlist wasn't that long of bands who took that leap of faith like you guys or, or you know, had the management, the foresight to do right. that. Um, you know, and it was. All right. Well, for Greg Kinney. His life yeah. was in jeopardy. I tell you, what, yeah, he he made some groundbreaking videos in his day, and uh, but you know you 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 were dead on. They were pretty good. We got to know Greg pretty good over the last few years. Greg's yeah. a good guy. It's it's funny you mentioned Super Tramp though, because like I remember my older sister had Breakfast in America. You know, know every song by heart, but they could walk into my living room and I wouldn't know what they looked like. You know, or um, exactly that was the point yeah. I was trying to make, and that's the way it was. When when MTV started, we handed them the stuff. It just was complete life changing. Yeah, and I think it, you know one of the things with you guys, and, and I think of, of maybe someone like Rick Springfield or Billy Squire, especially where you guys were still making music that wasn't overwhelmingly synthesized. You know, there was a lot of that kind of early '80s kind of kind of raw early synthesizer slash new wave music. You guys were just straight on rock band which i think is you know still appealed to a lot of the you know fans of 70s music um but yeah you're heavy on the yeah. guitars yeah i appreciate that we had a pretty cool keyboard player and he knew i mean he could have played a million mm -hmm. other parts but he knew to keep it yeah. simple and that was kind of a nice for him to realize that because 
in our songs, it appears to me that everything kind of has mm-hmm. its place. And there'll be something plays up this way and something else will play this way. And it'll co it'll work off each other. And then, you know, the vocals come in and then then it's clear sailing. And that's kinda that was kinda interesting how we how we got into that. And you know, a lot of that came from, you know, working with the crowds and doing the the uh, concerts in the nightclubs and stuff before we re- recorded in the studio. That was a big help for yeah. us. Now, like when you were doing a set list, you know, and, and you kind of you know, I, I hear a lot of bands will say, you know, we kind of play with set list till we get the the ebb and the flow of the audience. You know, the high energy, maybe a slower song. Did did you use that kind of same logic when it comes to putting the songs, you know, the track listing in the order, or is that some? Oh yeah, no, no, we came on strong for a few, mm-hmm. two, three songs. Then we take them down a little bit. Then while we take them down, we keep it down for a little while. And then we come back right up and kick you right in the burden earning, yeah. so to speak. Just get her going. That's kind of what we did. And that's, that's still yeah, what we and do. I think that, that's so, so over... I think it sometimes goes unnoticed, but you know, you love it when you get to the point of an album where you can kind of... One song ends and this is fade out. You can almost start feeling the melody of the next song before you even hear it because you know it becomes a complete body of work. And that's why I love to see you know you guys put this out on on vinyl, you know, as kind of a, you know, a memory books, so to speak, of the 40th anniversary to, for those people who experienced it that way. You know, you had singles, obviously, but it's still a fantastic album, you know, and that's, you know, it's a, that's a wonderful thing. Um, I appreciate that, when, I have to ask, because I was a huge fan of the movie Footloose. When the opportunity to came to sing with what I think might be one of the greatest voices in rock ever with Ann Wilson, um, do that intimidate you at all, or is it you know just let's do it? Intimidate me? I chose her to sing with me. They they brought me the song and said you you can have anybody you want. I mean that's the power I was in. They were offering me carte blanche, and I said. Well, first off, Keith Olsen was going to produce it, and I, I'd worked mm-hmm. with him before. He's really good. And uh, we met in Chicago. I'd asked uh, Anne to do it, and she'd agree. she agreed to do it. And it was like uh, Loverboy was on tour. Hart was on tour. We had a day off, so we each flew to to uh, Chicago to record this thing. And we literally went and got to know each other for a while. And after getting to know each other and getting comfortable... We rolled the track. We stood up and we sang it face to face, one take. Yeah. Boom. That's Done. it's almost. I remember Keith Olsen going. I remember Keith Olsen, the producer, going, "Thank you very much." After one take, and I went. Yeah, okay. it, it's almost cool. mind-boggling when you think of the way the music industry works today. You know, you see collaborations all over the place. You can't turn a radio station without seeing so and so featuring so and so. To think that you two were in the same, right. literally the same room. I mean, that's just. Unheard of, you know. Usually, it's all... well, you know, Ann and the group, you know, the group Hart used to hang out mm-hmm. in Vancouver for like 15 years. They were here. We used to go watch Hart play all the Led Zeppelin songs, and before they were even doing an album, so we had, uh, we really had. Uh, I had a good respect from them. As you say, she's one. She's probably the best voice in rock and roll. So, you know, and giving me the choice yeah, to pick her was like unbelievable. I just went brilliant, wow. and, and and you know. Gutsy. I mean, not not to discount your singing at all, but but I would be intimidated as heck, um, you know, trying to to sing 
with her. You know, that's, you know, commendable. Were you into the idea of the, you know, the, the movie soundtrack or was this, I mean, when you did the song itself, did you know you were doing this for a movie? Um, or was this, you know, just kind of one-off single sort of thing? Or how did the kind of... No, they told us it was going to be, yeah, they told us it was going to be for the, uh, it's kind of the love, love song of the, uh, love song of the movie. And I went, cool. And I hadn't seen the movie yet, but I thought, good luck, there you go. And when I saw the movie, do you remember yeah. when they played it? I, I, I remember when they played They played it during the dance, and the two, the parents stood up on yeah, the hill. outside the barn, yeah. I, and they I've seen that with, movie more times than I care to admit. Outside the barn. Um, is yeah, that's fabulous. fabulous. I'd like to watch it again. Yeah, I, I remember interviewing um, a survivor about, you know, doing the song for Rocky Three. You know, they kind of got to see some parts of the movie before it and then went back and wrote the song. And it, it's it's interesting when you're writing a song like that, you know, and, and my hat's off to Eric Carmen, um, you know, and uh, and team for, for penning you guys a fantastic song and a really great hit. But looking at your your you know, the first five years or so of lover voice history. I mean, it's amazing you even found time to do it. You guys, you know, by today's standards were, you know, you were kicking out an album every year and kicking out multi-platinum albums every year. Was that, I mean, did that grind kind of get to you guys? I mean, to try to keep up that pace. I mean, other than like, I think Van Halen obviously did, you know, some similar kind of numbers in that era. Um, was that, tough on you guys as a band to keep that pace well here's the deal for us honestly john when we first got the opportunity to do it we were blown away that we got mm -hmm. the opportunity so we weren't going to ever complain about it it did get tiring but here's we went on the road we played all these great concerts all these people that just mm -hmm. started digging it and we're just having this great experience and it's, it's tough going from town to town and living in the car uh, at the time we were just reusing rental cars and it was tough you have to drive four or five hundred miles to the next show and then be ready for the concert so we started getting tired then we moved into a tour bus and we did record promotions in every city at least two or three mm -hmm. radio stations we would do uh, a meet and greet before the show we would play the show after the show we would drive to the next town it you know after years and years of that it does get a bit tiring but that's what we wanted to do so we were the last ones to complain we were not going to complain and we didn't complain yeah, i'm going to complain <laughs> now though <laughs> you know if we, I, I think of you know if we had to tour at our age you know that's a young man's game to, to tour with that heavy it is a young yeah. man's game yes i remember is. being at a show i, I went to see a show and in, in, in across town bb uh, king was doing a show and he was easily in his 70s and i remember being at the show and it you know i was in my 30s i think at the time i was like getting kind of tired i'd worked all day and went to the show but i'm like you know bb king is across town doing a doing the show i gotta just shut up and you know you don't you don't get to be tired <laughs> if he's doing a show at his age um it's fantastic. Do you guys, I mean, obviously, you, as I mentioned before the interview, you guys were going to do a show in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, before the COVID thing fell, you know, kind of killed everything. Have you guys even begun to try to formulate a plan for life on the other side of this, of new music or touring, or you just kind of in a wait and see mode still? 
Absolutely. We talk about it constantly. You know what we're doing is we're trying to figure out when everybody's going to mm-hmm. get vaccinated. And to be honest with you, both Canada and the United States seem to have messed up the rollout for this vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how they could make screw it up yeah. so bad, but, you know, they, they're not getting it. They're losing it. They're not using yeah. it. They don't have a plan. I, I don't get it. I figured they would have had You would have thought, yeah. And I figured the plan would have gone off. And now, and once everybody gets vaccinated and starts feeling better, the virus just disappears. It's back to business as usual. Everybody can get back at it. So you'd think that this rollout would be super important. So we sit and try to figure out, are we coming out in the spring? Are we coming out in the summer? Are we coming out in the fall? Are we coming out at all? It it just has to depend. It's not even up to us anymore because we can't go around and play concerts without being vaccinated. And I don't think people can go to concerts yeah. uh, without being vaccinated. I think it's a bad thing to do. So we really are left with, uh, you know, we're just kind of holding our hands up, going, well, what, what's going on? Let's get cracking with this thing. And, you know, I'm not in government. I, uh, my my opinion counts for me and my, yeah. my wife. Not <laughs> as much you know as your I mean? wife, so let's be honest. But I just don't see... <laughs> Yeah, that vaccine, you know, I just don't, they're not, they don't seem to be handling it Yeah, properly. it is amazing. You hear, uh, you know, as of the recording of this, they said they might run out in New York City this week. And you have to worry, even if you get the first dose, if the second dose is going to be available. And yeah, it's, it's been kind of sad to watch how, you know, the optimism has turned to pessimism at this, so. It's crazy. Uh, times are crazy right now, and it's never happened to us before. It's a worldwide event, and it is mm-hmm. serious, and it is not good, and it has to get taken care of. It has to get taken care of professionally, you know, yeah. really. has to do, and somebody's got to get it together. Do you guys use the time, the downtime, to, to work on any new music? Yeah, sure. We've got lots of stuff going. I'm going to sing a track this week. I'm doing a song Paul and I we're working on, and we've put a few songs out mm-hmm. on our website, loverboyband.com, if you want to have a good look. I'm sure you probably had a look, but if you have a have a look, it's quite an in-depth, uh, we've got all kinds of fun things you can watch. It goes way back to the American Bandstand, and a whole bunch of stuff we've done new with some uh, lyric videos mm-hmm. that we put together, some new songs. So we're, we're doing what we can, yeah. and... Uh, you know, yeah, you kind of have to, I think, to you know, stay staying. I feel, I often, you know, sympathize with with the life of the touring musician when you were touring because I know it's not easy. It's 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 tough work, but then it's probably equally as brutal to then have the brakes put on and have to stand still. Um, you know, when you're used to doing what you do and now you can't, uh, that's you know, gotta be gotta be tough for you guys. So I wish you. All the best. Um, obviously, the new, uh, the re-release of the album is available now. It's 40 years and a couple months old at this point. Um, fantastic. And it's red vinyl. Yeah, that's that's a really cool. You know, the cover art is is so cool. You know, the the, the story of the cover art, which uh, you know, people can find online with the Polaroid and stuff. But it's it's such a cool album cover, and I think kind of an iconic image. Um, you guys had you know, a couple albums, you know, where you, you think, boy, that's like Get Lucky. Obviously, is is a Another fantastic album cover. Um, but, you know, I think really verging on iconic, but the first two especially, you know, you just say the word, you think of the image. Um, so doing it up in red vinyl. Yeah, and yeah. You, you I know, appreciate uh, 
all the new, yeah. you know, ways. That's a great idea. Yeah, it was really was a great idea. Yeah, I it's agree. fun. It's fun to bring attention to that, you know, because I think a lot of people, you know, kind of paint the '80s with a with a kind of a broad brush. And when you listen to, you know, the standalone piece of work with what you guys did, a fantastic, you guys had a fantastic run, and are still running. So, very, very commendable, Mike. And I want to thank you so much for the time today. Oh, my pleasure, John. It's really been fun talking to you. Hey, Gigantic, thank you to Mike Reno for coming on the show, talking about the debut album. Also very much appreciate him reminiscing about Footloose, a band that, uh, I'm sorry, not a band, a a soundtrack that as a kid for some reason just kind of hit me at the right time when it came out. I think I was young enough when I saw the movie that, you know, even the poppy kind of stuff on that album was really cool. And Sammy Hagar was on that album and and, uh, Bonnie Tyler with just some amazing uh, songs. Mike Reno and Wilson, um, two iconic voices of the 80s. Very, very blessed to say that both of them have joined us here on Iron City Rock. So I really appreciate him taking the time to talk about that. You can visit us at ironcityrocks.com ironcityrocks at gmail.com if you want to drop us an email let us know what you like or don't like about the show also we're on facebook instagram youtube twitter snapchat are all iron city rock so please uh, we really appreciate you joining us and uh, we'll be starting to post more stuff in the new year to youtube uh, as well as you know we do quite a bit on the other social medias but we're going to try to really focus on youtube in the new year so i want to thank you so much for listening and until next time thank you (laughs) 